0: What I've noticed in these sorts of scenarios is people actually crave leadership, they crave direction and certainty and I think um, waking them up, basically saying to people that if they thought they were going to be able to continue on the way they had been operating for you know the previous years, they, they were sadly mistaken, the world had changed, their world had changed.
1: Hi again everybody, welcome to another episode of This Corona Life. My name is Titch Graham and that'll be explained later. I've been exploring the experiences of an amazing group of people who are sharing with you their experiences in this new coronavirus world, how they've adapted and whether they see any positives or changes for the better coming from this. My guest today is Bruce Davidson, the Group CEO of Davidson Recruitment and Consulting, one of the largest privately owned recruitment organisations in Australia although you'll hear from him that they are are much more comprehensive than just that, than just covering recruitment. As you can imagine, with massive cutbacks and job losses through the effect of coronavirus, the recruitment industry would be suffering enormously. How would you cope with such an incomprehensible upheaval? Well, if you're Bruce, with a positive and optimistic demeanour and really quite an inspiring way of getting that across to everyone who works with him. Let's give him a call and I'll, I'll introduce you to him. Hello, mate. G'day, Bruce. How are you? Yeah,
0: good.
1: Yeah, Bruce. We're
0: very formal. We're very formal
1: doing? today. This is a formal part of the of the program. But uh, I've never been
0: called Bruce by you in my life. Hello,
1: Bruce. It's nice to talk to you again. I, here's a here's a disclaimer. I do know Bruce from a past life, in fact, most of this life. But for this, for the purposes of this, I need to ask you some questions. If I can, I'd love to ask you some questions. Sorry, if that's that's better. Um, would I be right in saying that Davidson's is one of the biggest recruitment and consulting companies in Australia?
0: Uh, we'd be one of the biggest private companies in Australia.
1: Right. And so what is your sort of what, – what does that encompass? What type of disciplines do you cover in when you're recruiting?
0: Well, we're, we're not just a recruitment business. We've got four recruitment companies a people experience and performance company which focuses on a range of HR solutions and a transformation business that focuses on technology transformations. So collectively, we focus on improving workplace performance for organisations through those services.
1: So pretty comprehensive.
0: Yep. yep.
1: Before we get into the impact this has had on on you, can you tell me where you are right now?
0: I am sitting in my newly constructed Home office, or when I say constructed, it was once our fun room slash bar, now it's my home office. <laughs> I have, I've seen
1: a photo, which I hope we can get a copy of on our, on our uh, website, But you, so it's a sort of a TV room slash bar, and, and, and do you sometimes think after a couple of difficult calls or teleconference calls, you could spin around in your chair and say, you know what, a quick 9am scotch might help?
0: <laughs> the joke's been made many times. People in my business are now well aware what sits behind me when they're looking at me. <laughs> and a few of them have actually said and suggested that I should open it up and actually uh, select something for them and me.
1: Oh, look, yeah, you should. I'd be hopeless in that setup. I'd be hammered by morning tea. Um, it would just be too <laughs> difficult. But um, so, so you've got to have a bit of a – you've got to have the discipline and, and do you keep to a routine still, even though you're working yeah, from home and it's kids and wives and dogs and stuff?
0: Yeah, it's pretty well the same routine for me. I get up, I exercise, I come back, I have a cup of coffee, I shower, I change, I get dressed, I leave the, the house and go to the office because it's actually physically separated from the house. It's kind of funny because I actually say goodbye to whoever may be up and say I'm leaving for work now. Nice. My son actually joked with me the other day that he'd um, pick me up after work if I wanted <laughs> to to
1: It must help having a, a routine as a lot of people take a while to find it and you get feel a bit disorganised and a bit dishevelled i think
0: to be really honest with you i haven't found too much difficulty with that um only because i'm pretty used to operating on the road so i'm often operating you know in sydney or melbourne from a coffee shop or where a hotel or wherever it may be my phone my laptop are my office and and you know just coming to this and having my cup of coffee is not too much difference to sitting in you know, Right. So, and so, the same.
1: so you've been doing a lot of teleconferencing and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera over the years because you've got all the states that you have to visit from from where your business is set up.
0: Yeah, although nothing like we are now, of course, you suddenly realise just how much you can do as everyone has, and uh, how much accommodation and travel costs we may be able to save in the future.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the one of the positives, I guess. But is, is everyone at home? I mean, as in your office, you've you've got everyone out of. Out of the building, so to speak?
0: Yeah, all three states, everyone operating from home across the country. Fortunately, we transformed all of our technology and communication systems about 12 months ago to be fully cloud-enabled and uh, to to ensure that people could operate from anywhere at any time. Wow. that's worked really seamlessly for us.
1: That's uh, amazing foresight. Surely not in anticipation of something like this, though, but just... To make things easier and workplaces more flexible.
0: Uh, yeah, look, there's such good outsourced services available now that um, just allow you to do it. It just seemed to be a much simpler and easier solution, and one which uh, you know had the added benefit of ensuring that should anyone be anywhere at any time where they have an internet connection, they can they can actually get on and operate as though they're sitting at their desk.
1: So, so as far as your business is concerned, people have been able to well, sort of clock on and clock off as per usual in a sense, uh, other than the oddities of having to do it always from home, they're prepared for it technically?
0: Uh, technically they are, but I think the uh, the reality is across a couple of hundred people you've got uh, a whole raft of different personal circumstances and it's not so much the technology issues as it is the family issues which yeah. are creating challenges for people, particularly those with school-aged children or younger, some single parents, you know, having to be, you know, parent, teacher and try to find some way to work in amongst it all. So it's a really challenging scenario.
1: I read those articles and I just scratch my head in the paper about uh, single parents, two primary school kids. Um, I just, it's almost unfathomable how you could juggle all those balls at the same time. I mean, that's when you need your bar behind you in the you know, office, I imagine. It's just very challenging times.
0: Well, I think the the problem with it is not only that that challenge, but it's the emotional strain that it brings because particularly achievement-oriented people uh, just feel like they're doing none of those roles well. And uh, that's what I'm noticing, even quite resilient people who, who are in that scenario are just finding it impossible to meet their standards in any domain.
1: Yeah, I was wanting to address that a little bit later and get your thoughts on that, but just, just walking it back a little bit, up until about March or April of this year, how were you travelling as a business?
0: Uh, well, up until March, no problem at all. Um, you know, we've we've actually recorded good figures in March, but the, the trouble is that everything has just fallen off a cliff in terms of future pipelines of work. Uh, as soon as Australia went to lockdown, um, you know, companies just basically stop spending on anything other than the bare necessities. Mm. So you can imagine how few are recruiting, not looking at uh, implementing new systems or or projects. So uh, we've had to do scenario planning for an indeterminate period of time, you know, 12 months and beyond, and to try and guess what the various scenarios might look like from a revenue perspective. And the only way you can really do that is to take a pretty bearish approach and and plan for the worst and and then work furiously to achieve better than the worst. So we've had to adjust cost bases right across the business and ensure we've got the balance sheet strength in place to make sure we can continue to operate at least the 12-month period that lies ahead and beyond.
1: And is that what, when you say plan for the worst, I mean, dare I ask, what is the worst case scenario?
0: For us, it could be, um, you know, as much as an 80% reduction in revenue.
1: Wow. When did you start to think, righto, things are going to change here? I mean, was there a moment when you when you were looking and listening and reading the papers and what have you that you thought, okay, this is really, really serious?
0: Um, there were just a series of things that were occurring. Uh, I don't know, for, for whatever reason, I seem to have the ability to join dots on on uh, a range of different things. I was having conversations right from the beginning of this year with people saying, I thought that there was something pretty serious imminent. And, uh, and I, I don't know, it's just a collection of things where you see, you know, China was the obvious thing, but I think people forget that it was in January, I think late January that the world health organization declared a global crisis, health crisis. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, um, coupled with how i was seeing organisations were already beginning to act you just get a sixth sense for it so it wasn't any one thing it was just a series of daily occurrences that were just leading to a picture that just said this isn't going to be good you know
1: there are there are warning signs on a lot of things that never eventuate uh, you know over the years it's sort of oh, okay here comes something no not really no it's okay we're okay. this one actually followed through and became quite disastrous and and I sort of wonder how do you respond to something so unexpected? I mean, from a managerial perspective, you say you, you, you're you able to anticipate this, you see that, but when you see it coming, what do you do with the, uh, the rest of your company, your organisation, the employees, the um, fellow managers and executives? How do you respond to something so unexpected?
0: Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've actually got to wake everyone up uh there the, in these scenarios and even back in the gfc i can remember there's always a period of about two days where the world realizes what's going on and it might be a week but it feels like it's you know a collective two days where suddenly everyone goes oh hold on this is happening and it's real
1: yep
0: and it was the collapse of bear stearns back in the gfc and it was the move to lockdowns in Australia. So. You've really got to get that team together. You've got to wake them up. You've got to actually be quite uh, brutal in in terms of how you describe the scenario. Do you get Um,
1: resistance from them while you're doing that, a lot of people? I I imagine naturally enough.
0: Not really. Not at the leadership level. I think um, what I've noticed in these sorts of scenarios is people actually have leadership. They crave direction and certainty. And I think um, waking them up, and I did a whistle-stop tour around the country with the last flights I made, um, basically saying to people that if they thought they were going to be able to continue on the way they had been operating for, you know, the previous years, they they were sadly mistaken. The world had changed. Their world had changed. And I can remember looking into the faces of the staff. This isn't so much the leaders, but the staff, and knowing that many of them were thinking, has he gone man? You know, is he understating yeah. this? yeah. Um, but you really have to be quite... Brutal's not the right word, but you have to be quite confronting in terms of the picture you paint. But from that minute, having done that, um, you've then got to be very, very clear in terms of communicating uh, your plan and giving direction for people to take actions. If if you do that, if you provide provide people with certainty in terms of what's required of them, I think you you find there's a lot less resistance.
1: I think that's right. Well, I know that's right. I read... um Daily, the reports from uh, the New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and he's got quite a, um, a quite a following now, and and well, he always been very popular, but quite a, a, a certainly a national in the US, but global because he's doing exactly that. He's getting up and saying he's not dithering, he's not you know um, trying to get two bob each way. He's saying this is the problem. This is how many have died. You know, like New York City. There's over 10,000 deaths. That's just in New York City, you know, and, and, and America has over 25,000 deaths. But he's saying, this is it. Let's not sugarcoat this. And I think that certainty is, is as you say, it's very important. So people go, okay, right, we know now. We know this is not a little political sort of message. It's just bang, straight between the eyes. And and you mentioned before about motivation. How do you motivate them when Once that bombshell's been dropped... How do you motivate and inform staff in such, you know, difficult circumstances?
0: Well, what we've done is we've been really clear, very open about the scenario, the scenarios we've had to paint, the decisions we've had to make and why. Um, We've consulted with people. Um, I've observed many other organisations haven't. They've simply, you know, issued edicts to say this is what we're doing and I understand that, but but I think the better approach is to consult and give people a sense that they have some form of input and control over their destiny Having done that and having reset um, our cost base, so our cost base is now set at uh, you know well less than half what it was. Wow. We then paint a picture of what a return to normal would look like and what's required. We start to measure that, um, and visually so. And what we've done is create a rally rallying cry, if you like, for the business, which is uh, whilst we'll do everything we can to um, play our part in Australia in flattening the rate of infection curve, Our rallying rallying cry internally is we're doing everything we can to steepen the revenue curve. Yeah. And we've drawn a line on that curve that says if we get to this point, everyone's back to their normal working conditions. So we've just created something to rally around. doesn't matter. Every dollar kicked into the tin helps. Uh, So, you know, small or or large, the part you play, you play a part and get everyone, um, uh, I guess, collectively working to something that they can all see and be part of.
1: Because your business, I mean, you are – in effect, well, part of the business is finding people jobs and ostensibly companies are shedding jobs or treading water with what they've got at the moment. So it must be, I mean, your job obviously as being where the buck stops as CEO, it means that you have to find solutions. You have to solve those sort of problems and get those coins and money being kicked into the tin what are some of the examples of some of? You don't have to give solutions to your um, to your opposition over this, but what are some? Can you think of any examples of the type of problems that you've had to solve as a result of people not just just not recruiting accountants and lawyers and and uh, receptionists and admin people? How do you how do you solve that?
0: Well, I think uh, you've sort of touched on the different components you need to think about first of all is nothing stops in every crisis you know there there are stages there's the the first stage which is triage where everyone's scrambling madly to work out what they've got to do to strengthen balance sheets to reduce cost bases to change working arrangements uh, etc and to set themselves up for survival Um, then what emerges from that and that's normally a period of about a month to two um, is what I call a new norm, and in the new norm, you've got organisations that will have done that, you, you know, to the best of their ability, but made the best calls they could and will have gotten it wrong. Um, so they'll find that they've, uh, you know, misshaped the organisation or they've failed to to appreciate that uh, they might need more resources of a particular kind. In any crisis, you'll also find that there's a rush towards certain skill sets that they become apparently Necessary as a result of what people are dealing with, um, and you'll also find that the smarter organisations, somewhere in the sort of four to six month scenario, begin to think about upgrading talent because there's not a leader in the country, whether they're consciously doing it or subconsciously doing it. But most will be consciously doing it. Who isn't looking at every single person in their team and making an assessment of whether or not they really have what they need? Yeah. Many people in this scenario get found out, and there's significant opportunities in the sort of four to six month period to be, um, you know, helping organisations upgrade their talent, if I can put it so bluntly. Now, in in any of these scenarios, there's also organisations that do exceptionally well, and you know the obvious ones we've all heard about the coal, or worse, the supply chains, etc. And then there are other markets that just continue on Um, largely unaffected, mining, government. Uh, transport in certain areas. Um, So you you have to make sure that you're aligned to those sectors that are continuing to work. You have to be very clear about which role types uh, uh, people are looking for. Uh, And that's the recruiting side. But then on the other side of the fence, there's extraordinary advisory opportunities. So currently we're standing up teams to assist governments around the country in solving problems. Things like how we're going to get produce out of uh, our state to Asia when most of it used to go in the belly of passenger planes. And so we stand up teams to help solve problems
1: like that. That's still got to be quite tricky to get onto those companies. You know, even the phone call, hello, it's Bill from Davidson Recruitment. Sorry, mate, we just don't want to do anything with recruitment. You've got to still talk your way in the front door with those sort of scenarios too, don't you?
0: You do. This is where you've really got to rely on years of relationships if those relationships are established and, and genuine, it's amazing how much organisations will do to help you in these scenarios too. We've had you know more clients than I ever hoped to imagine who've rung up and said, what can we do to help?
1: Oh, really? Yeah, so, uh,
0: isn't that great? So you know, this is where relationships come to the fore. In these scenarios, your good clients um, genuinely do look after you too.
1: Wow. So it's not so much trying to find new clients as to really nurture the ones you have and try and genuinely... Helped them out, um, and it's I guess win-win. At the you know, if you can,
0: it is. But it, there, there's always uh, that search for new opportunities as as you know, old uh, old business shuts down, and it will for a period of time. You've got to replace that with new. So it's a combination of the two. But you will do better out of your existing client base than you will seeking to create new relationships in this environment.
1: Do you think Davidson's will? change the way it approaches its business after we get on top of this scourge?
0: My experience of of all of these sorts of major events is that everything gets overstated during the crisis. If you recall, the whole financial services sector was going to be reformed and we were never going to be paying big bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, the GFC. And really, um, you know, it wasn't the GFC that bought much change about if anything the thing that probably brought some change was the Royal Commission. It's just an analogy to say the changes that people are stating now will be overstated yeah. um, significantly. I think you'll find that things will return far more to normal than people anticipate um, but in, undoubtedly there will be some realizations and changes that will accelerate probably the use of technology, uh, workplace flexibility etc but there's equally the possibility that we get three, four months down the track here and people actually uh, work out that they really appreciate the the ability to leave the house and to, yes. uh, to interact with colleagues.
1: So yes. So
0: likely, likely there's a mid ground there where you'll probably see organisations will just be setting up more flexible workspaces, using less space, et cetera, but it won't be the complete shift that a lot of commentators are talking about or as drastic, I think, as a lot of commentators are talking about.
1: I always I always liken it to those sort of things as uh, coming out of the um, Tony Robbins seminars and everyone wants to walk on hot coals and, and get to be CEO of the first company they walk past and what have you and then a week passes after the seminar and sort of, oh, look, I'd probably rather go and have a beer now at uh, five <laughs> o'clock sort of thing. I mean, I, I, I trivialise it but, you know, I think that, that sort of human nature a bit, isn't it? You have to really... Want to change something so inherently that you you make a complete change to your life? But oh, look, I, I might be wrong, but it just yeah. No, I
0: agree. I agree. I do think it will, um, as I say, accelerate the understanding that some of those flexible arrangements actually can be made to work. Um, but we're early days in this, and and you know what hasn't been exposed yet is the is the gaps in. Leadership and frameworks associated with leadership to manage this effectively. Yeah. So uh, you know, there's a there's a fair bit of water to go under the bridge before we get to conclusions. On yeah, this
1: how I think that's right. right. I think I read this morning that the World Health Organization says we're nowhere near the peak of the you know pandemic, which is which is um, disappointing. I mean, I think as he talks about certain countries, I mean, obviously places like Australia and New Zealand and and, and others are are sort of managing it very well. But uh, as you say, there's still a long way to go. But, um, I mean, in in your case, you've obviously had to be very creative, very innovative during this crisis to keep things ticking along. But tell me, are there positives you're taking from this personally and professionally?
0: I've heard um, a number of people in, in, uh, I guess, my client base and, friends and colleagues or in leadership positions say similar things which is that whilst we none of us would wish this upon their worst enemy and uh, we take no joy whatsoever in the scenario uh, going back to something you said earlier the very first, first thing you have to do in coping with something like this is just accept it okay it's here it is what it is and there's just no nothing but to move forward now and to look forward having accepted it the challenge is extraordinary and if, you, if you're able to set yourself the challenge and to visualize in a theoretical world, how it is you would like people to describe how you led in this scenario and to get a very clear understanding of what that would look like and what would make you not in a hubris driven way, but what would make you proud of, of your performance. It can be a really motivating, um, motivating, uh, I guess time in terms of just testing yourself as a leader. Now, don't get me wrong. That sounds terribly polyanna and I'll guarantee that every single one of those people, myself included, has down days and and down you know hours and uh, and many of them throughout that cycle. But it's managing those and overcoming those and returning yourself to a framework of, of constructive, and positive, sort of directed focus. That's the challenge. Um, if the downtimes weren't there, then the challenge wouldn't be real.
1: And and do you think? I mean, that's your your uh, your business, and and you personally the experiences you're having working now from home uh, and not travelling around. I mean, do you take? I mean, a lot of people take some negatives from that, but th- there's a reconnection factor as well, um, almost with uh, on the personal side for you. Not that you were ever to, disconnected, to really but honest,
0: um, to, to be really honest with you, n- no. Um, you know, I've always had family very, very much at the forefront of my mind. I I mean, I don't think any of this sort of additional contact is actually doing anything um, which is creating, you know, different outcomes to that which we had. If anything, I probably feel a little bit the other way, which is I think we'd all prefer to be able to have more variety in our lives. Mm. We're getting on fine, don't get me wrong. But I know people are, you know, referring to that as being a, a positive and I'm sure it is for many uh, for me, I don't see it. I just see my kids who are, you know, in their uh, late teens and 20s just being unable to live the life they'd like to lead. And a, and a student who's in the last year of school not having the opportunity to go to a formal or be in the school play or the netball teams or whatever it might be. And yeah. I think that's sad, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I've, and that's something I've heard from a few people that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll muck through this, but this is probably the first. Crisis they've had to face. People in their, you know, well, anyone under the age of probably about 30. Um, and as you say, the younger ones, especially, are, are being devastated, being told there's so many things you cannot do now. And it's not only you motivating your uh, employees, et cetera, et cetera, but it's keeping the family up and motivated, especially if they're too young to, to understand, I guess. But uh, yeah, but look, you, you sound as though you're doing a great job, sounding very positive as usual. <laughs> um, I, I, and I imagine you are just like a blue assed fly at the moment, ra- running around and, and teleconferencing and videoing and, and taking a few nips from the scotch every now and again. So I really, really appreciate the time you've given us this morning, um, Bruce. It's been fantastic. Good luck with the, with the future endeavours with Davidson's, and I'm sure it'll be a success. It may be a slightly different model to the one that went into this crisis, but maybe not, maybe not. But thank you, mate. I really appreciate uh, chatting to us this morning.
0: Thank you. I appreciate the
1: time. Have a great time. Yeah, you too, mate. See you later. We'll have links in our show notes to the things we've discussed on this podcast. Check out our Instagram, This Corona Life, for photos of our guests and links. And take a look at the website, redgproductions.com. Thank you to my producer, Kiro Sullivan. I look forward to your company on our next episode of This Corona Life. Bye for now.